You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Drinking my smoothie, my morning smooth. Hello and welcome to another episode of SyrupCast for the week of July 1st. Uh, well, it's the week of June 30th, but who's counting? Happy Canada Day. Woo! Very, very happy, happy Canada Day. How old are we now? <sighs> we are dirt. just the oldest. I, I don't even want to know. In phone years, like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> We're uh, 777 in phone years. Um, as always, I'm joined by Douglas Soltis, who is, uh, rocking a very similar shirt color to me. How are you, sir? I'm sad, man. Why are you sad, buddy? The, uh, the Mir Johnson era is over in Toronto. Well, it was, uh, it was about time. Whoa. I like Amir. I do. I really like The Amari Carroll era is, is just starting. So. I no problem with that. I'm just saying. I'm okay with what's going on in the NBA right now. I think, I mean, what's interesting is the salary cap has skyrocketed, uh, which means that guys like Anthony Davis are getting 140 million for what is it? Five, six years, like just extraordinary, extraordinary numbers. Um, and that will only continue once more players free up. And get signed. Uh, what are you looking for in the Raptors this year? Anything? Anything crazy? Uh, less sucking. No, that's not. That's not an answer. I'm looking for an offensive and defensive identity, which they adhere to, um, and stick with. I'm, I'm looking for a system and less freelancing. Less um, DeRozan, aimless DeRozan shots. I like to see more DeRozan corner threes, less of the others. Yeah, agreed. He's got a bit of a J.R. Smith thing where, like, if he thinks he's on, he's just, like, shooting no, 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 all no. the time. Don't don't discredit him. Don't, don't Smith shame him. Smith just does that stuff. They actually asked DeMar to be like, hey, DeMar, go take 25 shots a night. And, yeah, sure, turn around jumper. Like, it's up to the team to... Like, Lou Williams came on that team, and then they all adopted a, a Lou Williams two-girlfriends mentality, which just doesn't work <laughs> as a complete complete system in today's NBA. But I, I don't know. I think I have hopes. They're looking to sign uh, Wesley Matthews as well, and if he comes back from his Achilles, that could be an interesting team of shooters who can actually shoot. Um, what happens to, now that uh, Lowry is, like, the main point guard, now that Vasquez is out? Who's, who's going to take over that um, bench... Uh, point guard role. Well, we drafted uh, we drafted that that kid um, 
who will probably play some minutes. But as a as a season backup, they they might actually sign someone, or like it depends on if they're going to use Lou Williams' cap hold space to get another player or just re-sign Lou Williams. Um, but I I don't know. You might see them kind of just try to get like a, a middling level contract at the end of the season and to fill up that backup because Grievous wasn't really playing that much last year, anyways. Yeah, fair enough. All right. Well, now that we've, uh, if you've still, if you're still listening, uh, we should probably talk about mobile. And now we uh, should start this with is... the history of Canada. <laughs> <laughs> the year was 1867. No. All right. Uh, yeah, it was. So, this is actually a good uh, good segue because a lot of Canadians for Canada Day are getting the hell out and they're going elsewhere. They're roaming on roaming on the plains. Streets are empty. We're the only ones working today. Doing it oh, for the yeah. pod. Sure. Even though that HOV lane is uh, killing everybody who's a driver in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, we hate you, Pan Am Games. We Whoa, hate you. Strong take. Um, let's talk a little bit about roaming. So we got a few uh, people together this week to, to do a roaming guide and uh, an app guide, and we're going to be doing an unlocked phone guide mm-hmm. because roaming is a big part of summer travel, and there's nothing worse than not knowing whether your phone's going to work in a place or how much you're going to spend when you do want to use your phone in a place. So right now, roaming is improving in Canada. Every carrier has sort of adopted this um, roaming is the next battlefield mentality. Rogers began with Roam Like Home last summer. They, um, they or last fall rather, they started doing a $5 a day plan in the U.S. when you're on a share everything plan. They added a Europe uh, version of that for $10 a day, which you actually used recently in London. Tell us how that went. Uh, well, this, so the process was pretty painless of just like, kind of shown up and then they're like hey roam like home son on this uh but the functional experience was it was like it was okay but it wasn't the best i was on um o2 for the duration of my stay in in london and uh was locked in on 3g the whole time so it was enough for connectivity but um had i really needed you know data it would have been troublesome. Yeah, so they don't have an LTE agreement with any of the carriers in in Europe yet. And I think that's mainly because LTE isn't as popular in Europe as it is in North America. The rollouts are much slower. There are LTE networks in the U- in the UK. Uh, O2 actually has an LTE network as far as I know. All four or now three carriers have um have r- LTE networks in the UK, but I think that a lot of people still rely on 3G, and it's got to be a lot cheaper for Rogers to make roaming agreements on 3G mm-hmm. um, on mass, right? Because they've got 35 countries or so in Europe that they've made agreements with. So I don't think you'll see LTE roaming in Europe in anytime soon. But I was traveling in Germany in 2013. And I went into uh, an MVNO. It's a reseller, essentially, of one of the bigger networks there. And I bought a 20-euro SIM card, which gave me unlimited talk, text, and one gig of data 
uh, for like, yeah, it was 15 or 20 euro. Uh, and the 3G service there was pretty good. I mean, I'm not, and I'm also very familiar with the uh, 3G networks in the UK. I've been there a few times in the last few years. They're also pretty good. Like there's nothing, and I think Canadians take this for granted, but you really don't get the same quality of service and network uh, in other countries as you do in Canada. It just doesn't, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. And there was actually a weird experience that I was having and I don't know if it was just because I'm, I don't know. Okay. I'll, I'll just explain it to you and then we can break it, break it down. Cause there's a lot of factors that could be uh, working in this where I found that when I was on O2's 3G, um, apps that would normally function with kind of persistent connectivity would really not be connected and pulling data until I was in them and using them in a way that, say, um, which wouldn't happen here because I'm on LTE or I'm not really sure. Like, like, like app, applications like Slack or um, I'm trying to think, even like Twitter, like it almost as if I had no data connection until I was in the app and then it realized that it should be checking. And I don't know if that's something that is like an iOS developer thing for to like save on pulling if you're on 3G or if it was like a weird network thing. Just I, I don't know what was going on, but it was a very different experience having to to go in and make sure that people saw um, like say my Slack communications with, with the team rather than you know knowing let, having them know that I'm there and available. Yeah, I I just expect that that's because the background polling that developers are allowed to do is dependent on connectivity and um it like iOS is very limited in in the way that it allows developers to check things in the background. Mm-hmm. So it waits until there's uh your CPU is idle and you have sufficient network speeds in order to you know, pull these apps in the background. And if they're not responding fast enough, then it just shuts it down, right? So what you what you have in Canada is this seamless experience where you open an app and it loads much more quickly because it's already gotten a little bit of data from before. Like it's already updated part. Like you'll see that in Twitter, for example. When you open the Twitter app on iOS, you won't, You even though you you may not have opened the app for like, Mm-hmm. five or six hours, you'll have a little bit more uh, content than than the last time yeah, you opened even, it. Even if it's the while you were while you were away kind of thing. But yeah, so like so in Slack I was watching myself like I, and it, the reason why I noticed was that uh, I was going into Slack, which w- had been open, just going back into the app and noticing that I was set to offline and going online, like getting a connection. Like my my message bar was uh, yellowed out. And then watching it connect for me to be there, and it was an experience that I had never had before. But you know, I, I would say, I so I paid ten dollars a day for four days to basically have the ability to receive notifications on my phone, which is okay, and like upload some wedding photos to Instagram. It was it was right. uh, it was painless. It was slightly more expensive than I wanted, uh, but overall enough. Yeah, so ten dollars a day doesn't sound like that much, but four days, like forty dollars for forty days, uh, sorry, forty dollars for four days is not cheap, right? Yeah. Now that being so, said, I think if I there, there's a cap too, right? So if I had stayed for two more days, 
I'm only paying. I think I, I think it was like up to fifty bucks is what I would pay, right, or something. No, it's a, it's a hundred dollars, but um, after seven days they cut you off. So or after seven days they stop charging you, um, which is actually quite quite generous. So uh, basically, because they're not allowed to charge you more than a hundred dollars uh, excess roaming fees, they just cut you off after seven days, I believe. Um, I could be wrong about that. Let me just check. Um, let's talk a little bit about the kind of scope of, of roaming. So all these countries are, sorry, it's, let, let me just go back. It says only pay up to a max of 10, 10 days per monthly bill. Mm-hmm. So obviously um, in the US and Europe, you're only allowed to pay a max of $100 roaming, but Rogers is just saying, okay, you after uh, after you spend $100 on this, we're just going to let you continue. Yeah. Um, which, you know, is just a matter of, you know, adhering to the wireless code of conduct, but that's still quite a good deal. So the wireless uh, industry in Canada has gone through a lot of change over the past two or three years. But one of the biggest is the fact that it's a lot easier to know how much money you're going to spend on roaming. And when you look at the deals that you get from not Rogers, because Rogers has this roam like home plan that's fairly basic to understand, but Bell and TELUS, which are the other biggest, you know, two biggest providers in Canada, still have these like piecemeal bundles where um, you know, if you're going for three days, you spent and, and you only need 150 megabytes of data, you spend this much. And if you're going for seven days and you only need 300 megs of data, you spend this much and blah, blah, blah. But I think that that's also going to change. I think that they're incentivized now to find these deals and these better deals with uh, AT&T and T-Mobile in the States. And it's still prohibitively expensive to roam elsewhere in most parts of the world. Um, we looked at companies like MTS and Sasktel who aren't even trying to compete. They're just like, they're basically just, you know, putting their hand in the water and saying, Oh no, 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 that's, that's way too hot. Like yeah. I can't even touch that. So, you know, Sasktel, for example, offers a monthly rate in order to discount your roaming data. Like it's not even a, it's a, not even a roaming data package. It's just like you can spend $25 a month to make roaming data 10 cents a megabyte. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, it's, because, so, it's basically um, because they have no real system in place to deal with this, right? And I think the, the benefit of the Roam Like Home thing was that I had peace of mind that there was no way I could screw this up. <laughs> like, I wasn't right. coming back home to sticker shock. It's not, um, it's not just uh, they don't have a system in place. They don't have any leverage. So the whole idea of roaming is that it's, in order to make it financially feasible for both companies involved, you need a reciprocal agreement. You need mm-hmm. Rogers and AT&T to say, we're going to roam on one another's networks. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it makes no sense for me to offer you a discount to access my network. Rogers is a big enough player, especially since Guy Lawrence has a relationship with um, with many, with Vodafone, because he was the CEO of Vodafone Europe for, or for Vodafone UK. Um, and before that, he was CEO of Vodafone I want to say Holland. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he knows Vodafone in the UK. That's obviously one of the, or he knows Vodafone in Europe. That's obviously one of the major roaming partners 
uh, throughout the continent. Rogers and AT&T have had a long-standing relationship going back to the late 90s when AT&T was actually a, a player in wireless in Canada before Rogers bought out its its uh, remaining share. Yeah. Um, so Rogers used to be called Rogers AT&T when, with, with the wireless portion. Uh, so they've had a long-standing relationship. They both offer LTE roaming. Whenever I go down to the States now, um, and I use my Roam Like Home plan, AT&T's LTE is much, much faster than T-Mobile's in some parts of the country, but it's just got a better network. So you won't have these brown spots where you'll get like edge on T-Mobile the way that um, you know you will in some parts of the country. Like if, if I'm in San Francisco, for example, T-Mobile is often faster in some parts, but Good thing about Roam Like Home is that you'll switch between the networks depending on which has a better signal. Yeah, you're just getting you're just getting a, a smooth service throughout. Yeah. Well, so yeah, so I'll be in New York in two weeks, so I'll get to try the U.S. component of Roam Like right. Home. Right. Hopefully, I'll have. And a, why are you going to be in New York for, t- for the next? Uh, are you allowed to say? I yeah. There's a BlackBerry security event. People right. are showing okay. up. BlackBerry security. So, yeah, BlackBerry is holding its annual security conference. John Chen is going to be speaking there. A summit. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be interesting. You've, you've been to that before, right? Not uh, not the New York one. I didn't go last year. I think you went last year. I didn't I didn't go to the security one. I went to the, um, the classic launch in New York, which was in mm. December. It was like two days before Christmas. Good times. Oh, I think I, I, think I couldn't go. To the previous one because I had my passport stolen. <laughs> yeah. <It's> talking <laughs> about roaming, uh, you will need a passport to go to most of these countries. But not a passport. So, But not a BlackBerry passport, even though it's the same size as uh, it, that's been drilled into our heads. The other place, uh, the other um, pretty good deal that you can get on... Uh, for US roaming is WinMobile. Now, WinMobile offers a $15, month, $15 a month unlimited U.S. roaming data package uh, along with its regular plans. Or if you spend $50 a month, it, it, it comes included in, in the plan. But it's not really unlimited. It's, it's, it's unlimited the way that T-Mobile offers unlimited, yeah. which throttles you after a certain uh, amount of, of data. So after one gigabyte of roaming data per billing cycle, then you get throttled down to 256K, which is essentially edge. Um, so you're not going to be able to use mo- more than one gig uh, without like suffering because 256k after you've after you're, you've gotten used to like 20 30 megabits is a huge drop. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing because in one in one sense I was like, well, you know, a gig a gig gets you by, but then you, I don't want to have to to be you know I mean, calorie it, counting month, while I'm there, right? Pretty good. What's that? I just don't. I don't want to be calorie counting when I'm there. I don't want to be like actively thinking about. Oh, did I did I use too much? Did I, you know? Well, I mean that's why Roam Like Home makes so much sense because all you have to do is just think about your monthly data cap for your Canadian plan. Yeah. And then use it like you would back in Canada. The difference is that Roam Like Home. Uh, it's it's tricky because. Guy Lawrence, when he wrote, when he launched Roam Like Home Europe, he admitted 
that Canadians use more data per day while they're roaming than they do at home. Because A, you don't know where all the Wi-Fis are. You don't have the same sort of like work-life balance where you know how to connect to Wi-Fi. Uh, you know, you're constantly using your phone for things like maps, Instagram. Mm -hmm. I mean, people use their phones while they're roaming more because they want to enjoy being a tourist. And it's so much easier to use your phone to do yeah. things when you're probably uploading a lot of photos as well. Like I was uploading like on 3G uploading as many photos as I could of of the blessed wedding event, you know. Exactly. So I mean that's something to keep in mind too is I I roamed uh a lot in in May and June and I got hit with like I th I think it was like two and a half gigabytes of uh of overages because I just, I use my phone so much while I was abroad. So yeah, check out that roaming guide if you haven't already. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty good overview. But um, I wanted to talk a little bit about unlocked phones too, because that's something that a lot of Canadians are becoming more aware of. And we've spoken about this a little on the pod before, but the Asus Zenfone 2 just got released. Uh, it's a $379 phone. I would ignore the $299 version. Um, or 249 rather. It's a little bit slower. It doesn't have the same amount of memory. Uh, I would go with the $379 version. Uh, it's It's got more longevity. It's uh, got a four gigs of RAM, 64 gigs of storage, and a much faster Intel chip. But this is one of the first unlocked devices that is selling. Uh, it's basically... Uh, being sold through a number of different computer vendors. So you can buy it through Canada Computers, NCIX, Memory Express, and London Drugs, I believe, in in, in the West. Mm. And it's a great phone. I mean, for, for that price, you get really good, uh, a really good screen, excellent battery life, a decent camera, great performance, an Android build that is okay, but, you know, nothing to write home about. But mostly it's just... A, a, a version of what you would get on a much, it's a facsimile of what you would get on a much more expensive phone, but one that you can live with. And I really appreciate that when you're used to spending, you know, so much money on contract for a phone, here's a device that you can buy, unlock, take to any carrier you want. It'll work on wind, bell, Rogers, you know, whatever carrier you're, uh, you're, you're going to, and you'll get $20 a month off your plan. If you, get a share plan on, on any of the, the big three carriers. So what's that, what's that mid-range caveat that we see with, with phones Most. of this type? Like, what's, what's the sacrifice? Yeah, the major sacrifice uh, is bloatware. I mean, it's really just full of crap. Like, there's, there's an antivirus app that just scans everything you download and, and everything you install, but it's not necessary because Google does a good job on its own. Um, you basically get a middling camera from like 2014 quality, not great, but so far, uh, behind the galaxy S six and LG G four that it's not even close. Um, you get this sort of hybrid. I mean, lollipop made it a lot easier for, for, uh, OEMs to create good Android experiences while keeping it like unique, but Al uh, Asus really just they, they just make it ugly, and and I really don't like the the Zenfone UI. But 
when I look, I look at the performance, it just strikes me that most people will ignore this stuff. Most people will just use it and enjoy it and get over it. And if they want to customize their phone, if they want to delve deep and disable some of the bloatware, they can do that. And, you know, I looked at the number of apps that Asus pre-installs, like its own apps, you know, notes and and calendar and, and all this stuff. They're actually pretty good. I mean, I'm not going to go out of my way to say that they're better than the Google versions, but if you're okay having the icons there, you can pretty safely ignore the bloatware. It's not going to get in your way most of the time. So I think it does a pretty good job. So it's, it's a decent enough phone for someone who doesn't know enough to care about optimizing, but if you do want to, you can get a cheap phone and, like, you know, squeeze out the the naughty bits. Yeah, I mean, you can basically... And the thing about Asus is that it's a it's an enthusiast brand. So my understanding, and from what I've read in the comments, a lot of the people buying the Asus Zenfone 2 are the kind of astute Android deal mm-hmm. yeah. hounds that really go after these sorts of products. They they live on the red flag deal forums. They know every discount of every phone, every piece of tech out there. And they look at this phone as like the holy grail of what's possible in 2015 Android world, you know, where, you know, a, a Galaxy S6 is almost $300 on contract. And it's a, you know, it's an $800 phone where you're getting a, a really good experience for, you know, a third of that. So, yeah, like the baseline me, I mean, keeps improving. Yeah. And and my only concern here is Asus doesn't have a great track record of keeping their phones updated. Mm. So the phone, which is on Android 5.0, may stay on 5.0 way longer than, you know, your Galaxy S6 or LG G4. Um, if you're okay with that, then it's a great buy. The other phone that isn't unlocked but is a you know a, a device to look at and you can unlock it for relatively cheap is the uh, Alcatel One Touch Idle Three. Now I've done a pretty extensive review on both of these, and I'm you know I, I'd like to you know they're they're similar pricing. Uh, it's zero dollars on a two year term at Bell, Telus, and Videotron. It's three fifty outright. You can unlock it for like fifteen bucks if you want. So you, had, you do have to go that extra step because you can't buy it unlocked in Canada. But I like this phone a lot. I think that Alcatel brings a lot to the table here. Uh, it's not quite as fast in terms of synthetic benchmarks as the Asus Zenfone 2, but I like the screen better. I like the build of Android better. The camera is slightly better. The front-facing speakers are much louder and clearer. And I just think it's less full of crap. You know, if you so want like a, a cleaner Android cleaner, experience, yeah, this is a, a good phone to go with. So would that be, if you're Captain Red Flag deal here, is that the phone you're going with? See, the thing is, Alcatel loves carriers. And I've spoken to Steve, Steve Sestili, who's the uh, general manager for North America. And he says that to him getting these carriers, even though they're selling the Alcatel One Touch Idle 3 in the U.S. on Amazon Unlocked, um, it's more important for them to get these carrier relationships because most people, you know, despite our hardcore user base knowing about unlocked devices, most people still buy their phones at carriers, right? Yeah. And Alcatel has actually done a lot to 
lower the average price of Android phones in Canada by offering pretty good experiences at, you know, half the cost of a high-end Android phone. So to him, having that relationship with Bell and Telus is way more important than offering the phone unlocked on Amazon, for example. But for some reason, the phone is not up on uh, the Telus site yet. So Canada Day, man, give them, give those guys a break. Oh, I was supposed to get there on June thirtieth. Lemurs are taking holidays. Yeah, I guess so. They got to sleep too at some point. So, I mean, there's a lot of really good choice here, but I just want to say, you know, I, I picked up a Galaxy S six uh, over the weekend. Wait, yeah, over the weekend. Um, and I've been using it on and off uh, for a few days now, you know, after not using it for about two months. And I have to say that it is still way, way, way faster than any Android phone I've ever used. Mm. And Anantech did a super detailed teardown of the Exynos chip inside the Galaxy S6. And Samsung's got their stuff together. I mean... Two, three years ago, the Exynos project seemed like a bit of a crapshoot. Like it was an experiment on Samsung's part to sort of leverage its manufacturing uh, and, and vertical integration capabilities to, you know, take some of the, uh, the heat off Qualcomm from, you know, having to produce all these chips for its devices. Mm-hmm. But the Galaxy S6 is a fantastic product and it's a really well-rounded product and Android 5.1 is coming out for the device in the U S right now. So we should be getting it. Um, I hope shortly in Canada, I'm just checking the Rogers OS upgrade list to see if it's going to get anything. Yeah. It says coming soon, Android 5.1.1 on the edge and the galaxy S six and S six edge. So Hopefully we'll we'll uh, we'll see that relatively soon, but uh, if you still want the best Android phone out there, even you know compared to the LG G4, I do think that the Galaxy S6 is still the one to go with. Yeah, it just it, there's a lot of benefits to making your own stuff. Yeah, it's true, and I know I mean Samsung. Samsung gets a you know a, a bad rap, but like I'm looking at this like the white. Uh, the white version of the phone. And it is just really, really nice. I, I won't lie. Um, it's it's just feels, it feels good, man. Like, I don't know what to tell you. It feels good. And I downloaded this material skin. Now they allow themes now. Galaxy, uh, Samsung has a theme store. And there's a material theme that you can download that skins the whole OS and it's really, really nice. I have is to it is it a theme or are they just taking off their skin of Android? No, it's a theme. Okay. So everything that Samsung touched, like the no, like the uh, notification bar, the uh, you know the, the things like the phone app, for example, gets the nice material redesign uh, colors. Doesn't look exactly like a Nexus phone, but enough that I'm, you know, my eyes are are sufficiently tricked, and I feel good about it. Um, 
so yeah, I mean that's that's kind of um, what I've been what I've been looking at right now. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Apple Music. I, I think that you know that we can't really not talk about it. It's well, the no, one... before we talk about that, listen, we were talking about just these OEMs were working on building their own stuff. Should we want to talk about the Sony news first? Because I think that ties in directly, right? Oh, this uh, four billion dollar share um, release for Sony sensors. Yeah. So. Uh, before we talk about anything else, Sony just got into, well, they've been in image sensors in a major way, but for many years, but they are coming off one of the, I'd say their biggest couple of quarters for sensors, especially with the Galaxy S6 getting the uh, new IMX240 sensor. Now, Samsung has for a long time been using Sony sensors. So has uh, Apple, even though it's never come out and said it. But going back to devices like the Alcatel OneTouch, Sony is basically providing these image sensors for you know mid to high-end devices. Um, and the brand name is finally being used as a differentiator. So before, you know, Sony would put its sensors in its own phones, and of course, it would advertise that it had the best sensors. But we have companies like Alcatel OneTouch being like, hey, our phone has a Sony IMX sensor in it, you know, as a way to say, we are actually, you know, this is an improvement over your phone because San- yeah. because Sony's here and it's a brand. It's like they're finally getting that Walkman-like recognition again. Yeah, it's funny. It's, it speaks to that core Sony identity of like, we built this super fanciful thing. Yeah, um, so Sony has had a couple hard years. I mean, the PS4 has been doing fairly well, but its mobile division is basically in the dumps. And it wouldn't be surprising if in the next couple of years they stop selling phones altogether and start becoming that component company uh, that it began as. I mean... Sony has to cut its losses at some point, and they are not making money on mobile. They just well, they, aren't. Well, they're not making money on a lot of things, and it, it, I think it speaks to their overall need to decide, you know, what end-facing consumer products are they really invested in making, and which ones can they give up? Because it's sure. it takes a lot to to make a consumer electronics to, like they're an old-school consumer electronics company. They have they have a division working on toasters and stuff, you know, like the Sony toaster um, using their proprietary uh, bread technology. Uh, right. But I'm not sure how many of these consumer products they actually want to buy and I'm not, or, or want to produce. And I'm not sure, you know, how many of them people actually want to buy. Um, certainly the phones have not been uh, a hot commodity and you can you can blame that on a lot of things like the weird the weird branding the the lack of marketing. Um, you're you're a fairly big fan of the compact though, right? I'm a big fan of all the Sony phones. I think that you know they do a great job. They are very careful with their updates, and that's been a problem for the company. It's something that really makes no sense from a from an end user perspective. You know that. The Xperia Z that was announced in January 2013, uh, you know, 
hasn't really been updated very much. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you look at this, the Xperia Z3 Plus, which in the in Japan is the Z4. That's, you know, we've had this, the Z, the Z1, the Z2, the Z3, now the Z3 Plus. And for all intents and purposes, they are nearly identical looking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, small, very, very minor iterations on that original idea. And you can argue that that's what the iPhone's been doing successfully for seven years. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But the problem is that they don't have that branding to actually work from. I mean, this, the Xperia line is not an iPhone. It's not a Galaxy. It's a, it's an Xperia. I can I can speak to some a pretty like personal experience. The difference between an iPhone five and an iPhone six is, while the core experience remains the same, like the you know the the detailed articulation of that is quite different. Like oh, I know these Sony phones, you literally can't tell. Like you physically can't <laughs> identify the difference between the phones. And again, that's like a really traditional consumer electronics and a very Sony type thing. If you think of like uh, cameras Sony used to make, you have this 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 lineup of cameras where the only distinction was maybe one specific modification that had like a a sub-branding like formula name to it and I think for in the like phones are enough of a commodity that that for them to kind of uh, super commoditize their brand line like it's just we're just not there yet people want to feel like yes I got I got the the phone with the thing and it's the best new phone it's the next big thing and and Sony's approach is like if you, if it's an Xperia is an Xperia and this one's red with a slightly better thing and this one's blue but it's you know we believe in this overall phone experience and, and I think that that kind of that kind of approach worked in the 90s and I don't think it works today and certainly not with where their brand recognition's at and the money that they're willing to spend promoting these things yeah you know I I I will agree with you that they're similar I mean if you put a, an Xperia Z1 next to a Z3, which you know is about a year uh, and a half between them in terms of release dates, or a year between them, they're very different. I mean, the Xperia Z3 is much more compact. It's got a much better screen. It feels a little bit more like a modern device. You know, the Xperia Z1 was was chunky. Uh, it had those like ugly flaps on it. That being said, you're right. I mean, it doesn't, the changes aren't big enough for most consumers to go, oh, well, I need that new version. And yeah. it doesn't have the legacy user base for people to go, well, you know, my Z1 is getting long in the tooth. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to like look forward to the next Sony product. Yeah. I've had this new Xperia for a while. I'm going to get another Xperia, like replacing like a camera or a TV. Like, oh, my, uh, my, son, my Veo, I need a new one. It's been it's been a few years. I'm just gonna get the new one. Like it's a little bit more of a civilized approach um, than how we currently look at phones, where we really judge by like the the version model. 
um, rather than just the brand. Like Sony wants you to say, oh, I, what, what phone do you have? I have an Xperia, and it's, I got it two years ago. And, but it's just, it's just not how people buy phones right now. But, or, or maybe it's, it's not how carriers push phone sales, which is why um, they're having a hard time. Like, all of this was really different when Sony had their own stores where they could just pump out their own lines of products, right? So, I mean, it's interesting you say that because the... So, Sony sold off its VIO line. It no longer makes laptops. It it spun off its uh, um, Bravia line of televisions. So, Sony still makes TVs, but they are no longer manufacturing them. I think they're just branding them. Mm Mm-hmm. it is it's gotten out of retail in Canada, I think mostly in the US as well. Uh it's it's definitely streamlining. I mean, it knows what it's good at. It's good at cameras, it's good at gaming, and it is good at components of mobile stuff. Mm-hmm. Um and that's what it's gonna continue focusing on. That said, what I think you're alluding to is this sort of MacBook like uh marketing approach where you know you buy a macbook pro for example and you bought it in mm-hmm. 2011 and it's the late 2011 version and then you upgrade it in 2013 and you get a macbook pro that looks pretty much exactly the same but it's the 2013 version and it gets an annual update and it looks the same it functions very similarly because even though there's a faster processor and a slightly better screen you're still getting that core MacBook experience. It's something. It's something that Apple's tried to do a little bit with the iPad, but that. But that's where you're seeing the tension, and that's honestly that's how laptops have always been, right? But there's this weird tension, like the mobile cycle, is is a little bit different than the other consumer electronic cycles. So you, we've had like, you know, we we have numbers beside our phones rather than just saying yeah, it's it's a, you know, it's the MacBook Air. Just like I got it last year, I got it this year. It's it's uh. It's, it's yeah, the commodity cycle is a little faster, or had totally. been. the innovation had. Why been. is that? Well, because because I think uh, it's it's the it's the newer category compared to us having twenty years of laptops, where I'm sure any well even then just the cycle of technology, you know, for the first you know four or five years of smartphones when when it was when they were cresting away from just mobile phones each phone was radically different and could bring uh, a significant improvement or reinterpretation of what a smartphone could be and now we're we're pretty much set that beautiful you know galaxy s6 phone you're holding up looks a lot like some of the other phones that i could hold up um, we've we've, we've kind of locked in a phone and in much the same way we've locked in what a laptop is and it's really just like, can we make this thinner, sleeker? But we know what a laptop does. Um, so my, I, I, I'm aware of that and I think a lot of consumers are aware of that. The reason the phones are so branded is because they rely on carriers to sell them. And you can't rely on these carriers to successfully differentiate the nuances of a product cycle if they're just called, you know, iPhone 2015 or iPhone 2016, right? Mm -hmm. You have to have these distinctive naming uh, differentiations similar to the way that we differentiate based on, on spec, you know, the iPhone 5S was, was Siri. It was, it was touch ID. 
you know, these were the, um, these were the things that stood out or the, sorry, the iPhone 4S was Siri. The iPhone 5S was touch ID. You know, these are marketable qu qualities to the products that Apple uses. Um, you know, Samsung has that 16 megapixel camera in the GS6. Like it uses these very yeah, it, specific things. It's, it's more than marketing though, because beyond their marketing, uh, because, you know, if you look at like Best Buy or other, you know, other retailers that sell different types of electronics, you know, they're still pushing the same lines. It's just people buy at a certain cycle. For some reason, people want a new phone every year and they don't want a new laptop every year or a new they, TV every year or a new tablet, like ever. Once you got a tablet, you're kind of good with a tablet. Um, but why so, is that? It's because it's because of the product cycle. It's because of the... Uh, it's because of the subsidy cycle. In North America, we are addicted to subsidy. Yeah. And when your phone can be replaced every two years for $200, yes. that is not a great investment. Yes, if we were all just going to buy the newest $800 phone, we would be way less enthused about... I, I completely agree. And if laptops were subsidized, like, holy shit, would I be getting a new uh, MacBook Air every year? Because... But that's the point, because your MacBook doesn't have uh, a monthly service contract associated with it. Yeah. If, if we did it the way that Europeans did it and the, uh, the cost over the, the, the lifespan of a product was compared, you know, if they spend 700 pounds for a phone up front, 725 pounds. pounds per month on their service plan, yeah. over a two-year span they're spending far less than Canadians who for some reason need to spend little on their phone and a hundred dollars a month on their monthly plan. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying, I'm just saying I, all of these things we're identifying are correct. I, they're just tied into each other now such that you can't really fully pull out one thread. It's part of its cultural, part of its logistical, part of its, technological right and all of these things have related yeah. to the kind of system that we have where sony just doing its sony thing you know sony doing its sony thing hasn't worked in the in the macro sense for a while but in the micro sense it really doesn't work with phones especially if you're not going to spend you know samsung money promoting this shit so people are like whoa xperia nice you know, like yeah, the James, and the James Bond did a decent job of that. Make enough, you know, and not having the retail experience. I mean, think about how important it is for Apple to have its retail stores, or for Samsung and Microsoft to have those kind of sub stores within Best Buy. I mean, Microsoft has its own stores now. Samsung has this partnership with Best Buy where you can go to a dedicated micro store mm -hmm. uh, within a Best Buy all over Canada and, and the U.S. Yeah. And, that and Sony had that. The experience was great. Yeah, like, it yeah, did, but it wasn't making any money. Yeah. You know, again, these things come in. There, there are components to success, and you kind of need a lot of them for it to happen. Totally. Um, yeah, I, I think if you look at Sony's outlook it's a it's very different to htc's because they're both floundering on the mobile side but htc is attempting to reinvent itself as a 
consumer kind of gadget company. You know, they're they're releasing the the Vive or the Vive later this year um, in partnership with Steam. They have or Valve Valve Steam. You know, they have a lot of they they have a lot of hometown, um, you know, loyalty, but elsewhere HGC is, is dismissed in many ways, mm-hmm. um, even though they also make great products and they rely on these loyal users to, you know, to build up its brand. You know, they rely on these influencers, you know, HGC loves getting these, um, you know, artists and, and, you know, dancers and painters and all these kinds of creative people uh in front of their one series and see and see what happens right mm-hmm. um unfortunately the 1m9 has just completely disappointed on the on the camera side once again uh but and i mean you can't overstate how important a camera is to the overall experience mm-hmm. of a phone so, what's what's one thing that no manufacturer has ever like really beaten Apple on, and that's the camera experience. And that's what Samsung has managed to do this time. I mean, Samsung's got a better camera than the iPhone six plus in eighty percent of scenarios, right? Like in terms of overall fidelity and intelligence, the app the iPhone still has an advantage, right? It can it can see disparate lighting conditions in a, in a room. It can, it can totally give you a great shot in these unpredictable scenarios. But Samsung's got a better sensor. It's got a better, sharper, faster lens. And it's got IQ that's almost as good mm-hmm. as the iPhone now. Yeah, I remember us co- like going in and just comparing shot for shot and seeing you know, two great photos, but like almost two different like artistic interpretations of the same subject kind of thing. Yeah. Just the way that they would make different choices. Well, the other thing is that Samsung and LG and a bunch of other Android manufacturers, they have a 16 by nine, you know, default aspect ratio, which is very different to what, you know, traditional photos have, have looked like. Mm -hmm. I mean, the widescreen photo revolution is great for sharing because that means you turn your phone over uh, to, to landscape and you see the the shot as it was taken. But it's a much more epic landscape-friendly aspect ratio, right? Four yeah. by three or three by two is much better for portraits. You yeah. know, you could frame a person in a three by two. One by one. All So I took um, what... Let's let's not let's not be crazy now. No, no, no. I took what was like universally recognized amongst my uh, fellow wedding guests as like some of the best wedding photos at the wedding I was just at. And you know how I shot them? I shot them with the square photo preset um, on my iPhone six because I knew that those things were going straight to Instagram to be to be shared. Right. So if I could get something that fit in that box, like. I was I was doing the insta capturing and the framing in a way that it wasn't just like oh I caught the subject properly like I framed the photo properly. Right. Um Yeah, I mean that that totally totally makes sense. 
but it's also you know it's not what most people would would do well but no but it's a difference in intention right so which is why samsung's like hey you can get everything in this photo because we're bigger can't do that with an iphone 6 and then iphone's like look at these beautiful photos you can shoot (laughs) like it's not like about capturing all the information it's about showing what you want to show and you know again it's this different different types of companies with different types of intentions and cultures and things like that right mm-hmm. but HTC's got a you know they have a, a very difficult future ahead of them because they just don't have the buying power to get the best components i mean the fact that they had to go with a Toshiba sensor in the 1M9 uh, speaks to the fact that they really don't have the same leverage as a Samsung or an Apple. Yeah. Um, and they never will. So they have to figure out, okay, now what what can we do so- on the software side with inferior hardware? And they've done a great job of, of actually creating uh, one of the best hardware experiences or software experiences on an Android phone. But those yeah. don't quite match up yeah like whatever uh design considerations and compromises that samsung and sony are making as limited by the laws of physics they're generally starting with uh the best possible components that they can buy right so for a company like htc to be additionally hamstrung by well we couldn't we couldn't do a purchase order uh, for enough of this this uh, CPU or this uh, sensor. So we're going to have to use this one. And then let's play around with this other stuff to somehow make it compelling, you know? Or, yeah. Or we'll, let's make the heaviest phone in the world. <laughs> That'll be our... That, that could be, a, you know, a differentiator. We can uh, make the, the most robust phone in the world. We can replace our hammer. Well, hey, actually, you know what? I did. I recently used the One M Eight, just checking out it the the Android Five Point update that recently came out for it, and like it was, it was still really good to use. Like the One M Eight was still really good to use. Totally. One M Nine is is a great phone to use. I really enjoy it. It's uh, just hamstrung by, by its camera. Just hamstrung. So. It's got a it's got a groin injury. Speaking of hamstrung, are you gonna are you gonna try and sell me on Apple Music now? Is this where is this the point of the podcast we've come to? No, I'm not. I mean, I've I've actually I I have a, a lot of mixed feelings about Apple Music. You know, I'm uh, traditionally I've been a a, a diehard Audio fan. Um, I have not really warmed to Spotify the way that most Canadians have, largely because I started using Audio the day it came out in Canada which was a good year to a year and a half before Spotify was even, mm-hmm. you know, a, you know, a, a name that anybody in Canada knew. Yeah. Spotify took its sweet ass time coming to Canada. And I mean, they're, they're here now and they're making a splash and they're sponsoring stuff and whatever. But I think that RDO is probably the benchmark that streaming music services need to, to work on to uh, to establish themselves. Now, Apple's come in and they've created a very slick experience uh, that offers pretty much everything, right? So if you had an existing iCloud or iTunes music account, you have all your, fo- all your music there already. So 
anything that you've uploaded to iTunes match, anything that you've uh, that you've got on Purchase. your computer locally. When you sign up for I- Apple Music, it uh, it asks you to switch on iCloud Music Library, and what it'll do is it'll match all of your all of your uh, music on your computer with their own iTunes um, catalog, and it'll allow you then instead of having to manually move all these MP3s to different devices, it'll just start offering them to you to download in the cloud, right? Uh, that right off, I mean, Chris Welch at The Verge wrote a really good article about this is a really bad experience for people who keep these perfectly manicured collections of music, right? The people who care about the difference between a Beatles mono and a Beatles stereo edition. And Apple has just, they've tried to match these albums with their equivalents on the web or in the cloud, but they often don't do that correctly. So you may turn on iCloud Music Library and have a bunch of incorrect album art, a bunch of, you know, misplaced files. It it may match only some parts of an album. So you'll get different metadata depending on whether it matched uh, you know, a few songs of the album or an entire album. Yeah. Well, I saw I saw a hot uh, hot tweet take yesterday. I can't remember who it was, so sorry, no tweet credit. But it's like, you know, uh, music is blends the brilliance of the uh, iTunes software design with Apple's strengths in cloud services. <laughs> You're like, ooh. Uh, so I wouldn't go that far. I think it is better than I thought it would be. The design is, a lot of the design is actually taken directly from Beats. So I think it, you know, Beats was a relatively good design on, on the iPhone. And it's it stayed that way here. So, you know, you open the app and you go uh, to my, uh, there, there's, a, there's a For You tab that offers curated recommendations on, uh, what your you know what you may want to listen to so it has all these great playlists uh kanye west's penthouse mix uh, which doesn't have a lot of hip-hop on it It actually is a it has the killers nine inch nails radiohead modest mouse coldplay florence and the machine fiona apple depeche mode and daft punk so i mean that's a pretty interesting mix right mm-hmm. they have all these celebrity or you know celebrities artists right uh, you know building these playlists they have over 300 people on staff building playlists. Uh, they have some really great handmade content here. Well, yeah, like what is that? I saw St. Vincent was making mixtapes for like 11-year-olds on Beats Radio 1 and stuff like that. Yeah, so uh, uh, Josh Home from, or Home or Home or Home, Home. or whatever from, uh, yeah. uh, what's his, what's his, Eagles of Death Metal and why am I why can't I think of the name? Yeah. Anyway, he is uh, hosting a radio show, and his playlists are like grungy and dirty and awesome and totally random. Saint Vincent's uh, is Saint Vincent is also hosting a radio show. Hers are a little bit more mainstream but equally interesting, and they're going to have a bunch of these uh, artists hosting shows. And then after the show, they'll post the playlist every day, which is super cool. Yeah. Um, and it's this weird thing, like, like, everyone's making jokes about, like, oh, hey, look at Apple creating this newfound thing where everyone listens to the same music at every time. But, like, in, in a 21st century world where, like, everything is so fractured, 
to have these communal global experiences is fucking dope. Like that is that is a, an achievement, and it's one only a company kind of the size of Apple can push people towards. We're like, yeah, we'll we'll get you doing a radio show that the world will actually listen to. Um, the thing that I I guess have an issue with, and I'm you know I guess I'm gonna try the free trial, but Apple's problem here is merging its success as a MP3 retailer with the new streaming reality. And I kind of don't want this, like when I install it, for it to touch my iTunes library in any way. I have, I've never done the, the, like the cloud match thing because I don't want to end up listening to like lower grade versions of, you know, like when I, when I rip a CD, I, I, I rip it hard. I don't go um, like lower quality. I, I, and I don't, I, at the end of the day, I don't want to give up the ownership of my musical inventory. So I think if I'm going to use this, it's just going to be for... I'm, I'm not going to have it try and be the amalgam of my music that I've purchased and music that I just want to stream. Does that make sense? Yeah, you, you don't have to do that. I mean, you don't have to sign up for iCloud Music Library at all. Um, and you can also differentiate between the music that you've stored on the cloud and the stuff that you are streaming and you know downloading for offline listening later mm-hmm. uh, on Apple Music, so you can ignore your your MP3 collection completely and start from scratch, which I like. It's probably uh, going to be a little bit confusing for first time users, especially if you have this iTunes collection that hasn't been updated since two thousand and seven. Totally, like me. Um, but I want to go back to Beats 1 because I, 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 I love it and I hate it. On the one hand, I love it because it's introduced me to a bunch of new artists already that I really dig. They're, it's, the DJs are really interesting. They're a little bit over the top. you know. It's like, worldwide, always on, baby, DJ yeah, Zay. go, go. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit, it's a bit like uh, listening. It's very, it's very much like terrestrial. Uh, it's like BBC Three. You know, it's like yep. um, very, very much like, terrestrial hip-hop British radio. But that's also very popular, though, right? It's huge, and I love it. I, I just haven't listened to that for a long time. You know, it, it goes back to, like, my Shoutcast days. Um, yeah, one thing we were talking about in the office on Tuesday, though, but they're, they're still... When you're listening to, to Beats 1 or whatever, they're throwing in those little interstitials that interrupt the music, right? Or oh, play over top the music so that... They can't yeah. rip the the audio. Yeah, not that you can't rip the audio. It's just that that's kind of how they have done it forever. On on uh, you know online, uh, you know internet radio has always had those station those interstitials. Yeah, um, and I mean a lot of the early kind of internet hip hop mixes would have the DJs coming over on top of the songs, being like, you know. DJ Premier presents, presents, presents. Yeah. You know, it's like that's that's how they're that's, how, that, that's the, dub, that's the dub, stamp, dub, you know. Dub 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 Right. Um but at the same time they only play clean music, you know, because it's a twenty four hour station, so there's no after nine PM. Mm-hmm. Have not so I've seen some people complain that unclean versions of uh say the newest Rihanna single have somehow shown up. Yeah, I just that's listened it. to the Rihanna single. Um, on Beats One just a couple hours ago, and uh, you know they say the word bitch, they'll say the word ass, uh, but they won't say they they won't swear. They won't have the f word. They won't have the s word or the n word. 
Mm. And I mean, I think that's probably best in the long run to keep it family friendly. But, you know, I listened to, to Juicy by, you know, Biggie Smalls um, on Beats 1, and the clean version just does not have the same impact. You know, it's... Yeah, but you're listening to... But if you want to listen to the actual version, then listen to it not on Beats. Listen to it on the... No, 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 no. That's, that's not the point, man. The point is that I want to not have to change the station. I want to be able to just listen to Beats 1. But well, maybe they'll eventually not- do an explicit version. But like you know, at the end of the day, they did just create a giant family-friendly like global radio station. You know. Yeah, I, I mean, right now that's the way it's got to be. If there's only one station. Yeah, it's like it's like so- man, CBC Radio Three doesn't play <laughs> that dope. I mean, it's just it's also a, that I love. It's also uh, about. The fact that they incorporate all of these different genres into the into the same programs, you know, is what makes it so compelling to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to hear a dubstep track next to a garage track next to a you know a grunge track next to an indie track is to me really interesting if it's done the right way. And you know, Zane Lowe seems to be somebody who just loves music. And really likes to yeah. put on stuff that people don't know. Yeah. And that's, that's that cultural that'll... element that like that they kind of bought with beats and that Apple yeah. traditionally had that they can leverage in a way that like like Samsung music would not have this cachet, right? Well it just it wouldn't it wouldn't have that ability to get thousands of people listening to the same thing at one time. Yeah. And, and and what's what's interesting to me is that you know Shoutcast has been doing this for years, but you know their listenership has has declined a lot in like the last ten years. There's no one company that can use one service to get everybody listening to to one radio station uh, at the same time. It just it just won't happen. So Apple has that advantage. Well, yeah, and I was just thinking kind of as as everyone's like, oh, man, I'm, I'm totally, I'm canceling my Spotify account now. I'm doing this, and I'm like, it used to be that building an app that was the feature of someone else's product was a really dumb idea. Like, you don't buy, you don't build an app that is essentially uh, a feature of an OS because it, essentially, like, Apple or Android or whoever will just do their own version of that and replace you. It's now at the point where you don't make a service <laughs> that is the feature of someone else's platform. Because like only a yeah. company the size of Apple could do like essentially the the digital streaming radio music conglomerate that everyone's going to now use and all the targeted people who could have done like one piece of that but cuz people don't want like oh I want a streaming service I want this. They want a music experience service, right? And if Apple can provide all of that then that's the one that people are going to sign up for i mean spotify has a big head start and we can't discount that how you know, like, what, what are we talking about in terms of numbers well they have 75 million users they have 20 million paid users apple will eclipse that they probably already have eclipsed that just by signing people up to the three-month free trial but i'm talking about the infrastructure i'm talking about 
you know, Apple has this iTunes, you know, mega brand, right? They mm-hmm. everybody knows iTunes, but very few people still buy music on iTunes, right? Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't mean very few as in like only a few thousand. I mean, millions of people buy music from iTunes, but generally the industry has been declining uh, in, in the last few years. Downloads has been like music, paid music downloads declined in 2014 um, for the first time, I think, since the iTunes store was made available. So the only growth sector in music is streaming. And Apple came to it a little bit late, like they usually do, but they came to it with a pretty robust product. The difference is that there are so many other good products out there. And as somebody who's sampled all of them, you're not getting a particularly much better experience on Apple Music than you are on Spotify or RDO. I mean, the social element of Apple Music is basically non-existent. And to me, the social... The social elements on RDO, you know, the ability to read reader reviews, the ability to follow my friends. Okay, you're talking about one specific component of the whole, but you just said, like, whatever whatever lead Spotify had might be totally subsumed by Apple in the first quarter of it having this thing released, right? So then what does it really mean to have a lead or to be there that, first? I, mean, I, I think, you know... Not, a new user to Apple Music is not a is not a lost user to Spotify. Uh, it is if it is if people are like, eh, why am I paying for two streaming services? I'm going to go with this one. Right, but I'm not. But the industry is not at capacity yet. We're not at smartphone level saturation here. True. Right. We're we're at a level now where you know this is a growth market. People are going to be transitioning from buying tracks on iTunes or even you know more likely stealing to adopting this streaming uh, mentality. And I think Spotify has room to grow within the world of Apple Music. It can continue to differentiate using, as it, you know, it, it announced a few weeks ago, it's going to uh, video content. It's partnering with uh, the, you know, Comedy Central uh, to host clips of various shows like Broad City. It's got a, a fitness element that Apple does not have. Uh, so it does have a head start, but it is going to be uh, difficult for Spotify to maintain its momentum. And more importantly, it's going to be really hard for companies like Deezer, like RDO especially. RDO has been struggling. And I don't know if RDO is going to last. As much as I love it, I think that these smaller streaming services are going to go up against, you know, these beasts and we didn't even mention google play right google play is is, mm. is enormous i mean yeah. every time you buy an android phone you get a couple of months of, of free google streaming google play streaming mm-hmm. and no, my girlfriend pretty- uses it all the time she really likes it right so oh. you know we'll we'll see i mean i'm gonna do a side-by-side comparison between apple music and like three or four other music streaming services to see how they uh stack up so you know look out for that in the next few days but this is the beginning of of something really great because i think more people need access to better music more of the time i'm gonna i'm gonna try it i'm not gonna promise that i like it and i'm probably well i mean there's nothing to lose you got three months for free yeah 
Do it. I don't know, man. Change is hard. <laughs> I know, buddy. All right. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, if you have any requests for next week, let us know. We're at the beginning of the summer doldrums, so uh, we're looking for ideas, um, looking for suggestions, comments, criticisms, loves, hates, brothers, sisters. We're all in this together. Rate five Why? stars. Worldwide. Five star worldwide. Let us know which streaming services you use and if you'd use more than one. And if you can spare a few minutes to give us a review on iTunes, we will be forever grateful. My name is Daniel Bader at Journey Dan on Twitter. Where can people find you, Douglas? At Tron. That's only one O. T-R-O-N. Thank you again for tuning in, and we will see you next week. Bye. Shout out to Mir. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 